Good morning, church family. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. My name's Steve. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, Pastor Tool preaches about 47 or 48 weeks of the year, and this is one of the few that he does not. And so we're glad that you're here, and we're going to be in our Bibles, as we said, in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, I do want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to preach this morning. I hope that it's an encouragement to you, that it strengthens you, and you want to stay tight in your seats because immediately after the sermon this morning, we have a baptism. And uh, David Shireman is going to be baptized this morning. We're excited about that. He has an entire fan section over here. And uh, it's great to have all of you with us uh, this morning. So uh, stay tuned for that uh, immediately after the message. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. I do want to wish Pastor a happy birthday. Yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday, Pastor. If you want to know how old Pastor is, you have to talk to him. I'm not giving it up. So we are in Exodus chapter 3 this morning, and I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving and that God blessed and worked in your life, and I hope this morning is an encouragement and a strength to you. The the scene here in Exodus chapter 3 is that the boy Moses is now a man. Moses is on the scene, and God is coming to share his plan with Moses, exactly what Moses is supposed to be doing the rest of his life. God's plan for Moses. But if we think about Moses and the life of Moses, Moses was a boy that was born at the exact wrong time, and yet he was born at exactly the perfect time. Uh, Moses was born at the exact wrong time because all Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. Uh, Because there was a new king that was in Egypt, and of course they were in oppression in Egypt, and there was a new king in Egypt. And this king started seeing uh, that the Israelites were, were multiplying by number. And as they multiplied by number, they, he was afraid that they would join the enemies of the Egyptians and, and overtake the kingdom. And so he said, I'm going to make this plan. And ultimately, he decreed that all baby boys were going to be killed. He was born at the exact wrong time because baby boys were to be killed. He was born at the exact perfect time because God placed a hedge of protection around Moses. He was born at the exact wrong time because he was to be thrown into a river immediately after birth. He was born at the exact perfect time because he was spared by an ark of bulrushes that was made by his mother. He was born at the exact wrong time because he would be taken from his mother. But he was born at the exact perfect time because he was going to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And his own mother was going to become his nurse and the one that was able to raise him as he grew. And of course, she even got paid to do so. He was born at the exact wrong time because Israelites were in bondage. He was born at the exact perfect time because God had called him to a bigger purpose to fulfill his promise for such a time as this. He comes to this point in his life and God is now bringing this plan in full circle to Moses. And we pick this up in Exodus chapter 3, this plan for Moses' life. And look down, if you would, at verse number 9. The Bible says, Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee, he says to Moses, unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people 
and the, chil- the children of Israel out of Egypt. Can you think this morning about the last time that God came to you and said, I want you to do something for me? Maybe it was a job that you currently have. Maybe it's a ministry that you hold here in the church. Maybe it's something that you haven't started yet, but you can think of a God having a plan for your life. God has revealed something in your life. You know, God provides plans to us throughout our life. It's not just the large plans that He has for our career, but sometimes it's the plans He has for us and who we marry. Sometimes it's the plans He has for us in going through a health challenge. Sometimes it's the plans that He has for us in taking a step of faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. God has plans for your life. You know, when God comes to you and says, hey, it's time to reveal my next step of faith for you, how do you react? Can I encourage you this morning as we walk through this passage and see how Moses reacted? And oftentimes, when we look in this passage, we'll see some natural tendencies that we have as human beings to react in much the same way. As we see how Moses reacted to God's plans, can I encourage you to prayerfully consider how we will embrace God's plans. Let's start with a word of prayer and ask God to bless. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. Lord, I pray that as we unpack these few verses here that you would teach us, that you would guide and direct our thoughts, that you would guide and direct us in your ways. Lord, sometimes... Your plans are different than our plans. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us in in accepting of your plans. And Lord, I pray that we would yield to your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many times is it that God gives us a plan and it doesn't coincide with our plans? You know, we teach our children from very young ages that they should have a plan for their life. How many times have we asked a young child, what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to be a pastor. Nobody ever says that. I'm going to be, and you fill in the blank. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to be whatever they think is is glamorous at that time. But we ask young children, what are you going to be when you grow up? And then as they get a little bit older, where are you going to college? And, and they should have a plan for their life. And, and what, what is the job that you're going to do? They should have a plan for your life. In business, we want people to have plans and, and have all these plans that we execute and plans for our life. But sometimes God confronts us with a plan that he has that is different than the plans that we have. Sometimes God says, hey, I want you to do this, and we say, well, I I don't know if you've considered these facts. Can I tell you, an old omnipotent God has already considered every fact that you can bring to him. Sometimes God's plans are different than our plans. We think about all of the amazing things that Moses was able to accomplish in his ministry here as he led the children of Israel. But this is the point in which he had to make a decision. It's that fulcrum point where this small decision, accepting of God's plan, was going to be the catalyst for the rest of his life. You know, sometimes it's the small decisions that make a big difference in our life. 
the small decisions of accepting God's will that make a big difference in the rest of our life. Uh, the, I remember when I was uh, just graduated from high school and I got a phone call about a job situation and, and, and they said to me on the other end of the line, you can either choose this job or this job. And the only difference between those two jobs was whether I was going to take a vacation for the next week or so before I started the job or get started in the job right away. And I believe that God intervened and allowed me to make this very small decision of which job of those two that I was going to take that ended up setting me on a course for, that would carry me for the next 20 years of my life. It's almost scary when you think about the small decisions that can, get, that can have a big impact in your life. Those small decisions, it's why it's so important that we walk day by day with the Lord Jesus Christ. That God teaches us, that God steps us into the ways that He has for us, that we're stepping with the Lord Jesus Christ. But God here has a plan for Moses. He says, I will send you. Maybe you're facing something right now. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a career path. Uh, maybe it's a, a ministry that God has been prompting your heart over and over again, either to start or to get involved with. Uh, maybe it's uh, giving to the Christmas offering. Uh, maybe it's going through a health challenge. Uh, maybe you immediately thought of something in your life where you believe that God has a plan uh, for you. Uh, my encouragement to you this morning is uh, to set your own plans aside and to embrace God's plan. Let's look at our passage. Look in verse 1, if you would. It says, And now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now wait just a minute. We're here in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Didn't Moses grow up in Egypt? Why is he in Midian? Why do we find Moses in Midian right now? Well, we know that Moses grew up in royalty in Egypt because he grew up in the Pharaoh's court. The Pharaoh's daughter raised him. And he grew up in, in that. And, but all of a sudden, he was confronted one day. He went out and he saw he saw an Egyptian taskmaster that was un, uh, unnecessarily beating on a Hebrew slave. And he, his, in, his anger got the best of him. And he looks both ways. And he, he goes after that Egyptian taskmaster. And he ends up beating him to death. And then he buried him in the sand. He continues to look around. I don't think anybody saw me. But can I tell you, God saw him. And he th thought within himself, I don't think anybody saw me. He went to bed and pillowed his head that night and was able to sleep and he gets up the next day and he sees this another scene un, unfolding and he sees these two Hebrews that were striving together and the one that was that was in the wrong he began to confront him and he said why are you doing this and and that Hebrew looks back at him that Israelite looks back at him and says who made you a judge over us are you going to do to me like you did to that Egyptian yesterday and then all of a sudden he realized, oh no, my sin has found me out. There are people that know what has happened. There are people that know what I did yesterday. There are people that know that I killed that Egyptian. And then it, was, it didn't take long before Pharaoh found out what had happened. And Pharaoh immediately was angry and he wanted to kill Moses. And he began to strive after Moses, the Bible says, to kill him. 
So what did Moses do? Well, he fled. He fled Egypt, and all of a sudden, he ends up in Midian. And we find Moses now, after some years had gone by, he's now married, he's got children. And we find Moses here in Midian. Moses, who grew up in the lap of luxury, Moses, who had uh, everything that he wanted at his fingertips, is now just a common shepherd uh, for his father-in-law. And we find him here tending uh, to the flock of his father-in-law. Uh, look in verse 2. Uh, he uh, comes, is confronted uh, with something here in verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. If you're taking notes this morning, write down number one, the rationalization of the supernatural. The rationalization of the supernatural. Now, I thought, because pastor's really good with object lessons, I thought about having a burning bush in here, but I wasn't sure if our facility team would be real happy with that. So we're going to use this as our bush this morning. Moses is tending to this flock, and he comes on the other side, and all of a sudden he's confronted with this bush that is in front of him. No doubt he's seen this bush before, but something is different about this bush. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord is there, number one. Number two, it's burning with fire. Can you imagine this just burning with fire, but yet the bush is not being consumed. This is a miraculous event that Moses is experiencing right in front of him. And what should he do when he's confronted with the angel of the Lord? We know that it's actually God that is is in that bush that is confronting him. What, What should he do? No less than fall down and worship. He should worship. He should fall at his feet and yield his will to God's will. But what did Moses do? Look down in verse 3, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Moses says within himself, well, I see that this bush is in front of me. I, I see that it's being burned, but it's not being consumed. Let me rationalize, rationalize why this bush is not being burned. I, I think I can figure it out. I, let, let me just do a once around and figure out why this bush is not being burned. He's rationalizing the supernatural. He's confronted with the supernatural, and he's got some other rationalization that he is is trying to figure out. There must be a reason why this bush is not being consumed as it is being burnt. Can I tell you this morning, Moses is coming face to face with God. Moses is coming face to face with God. And it isn't a time to try to rationalize exactly what is happening. It's a time to embrace being in the presence of Almighty God. He's rationalizing exactly what he shouldn't rationalize. I think of Balaam's donkey. I think Balaam, all of a sudden, his donkey's talking to him. And instead of trying to figure out why is God speaking to me through this donkey, he goes on and has an entire conversation with the donkey and is angry with the, with the donkey. I think of the children of Israel getting ready to go into the promised land. God says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. God said, hey, go in. I have already given you the victory. And they're standing on the precipice. All they need to do is claim the victory. And they begin rationalizing. They send the spies in and, and say, well, uh, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, it has clusters of grapes that, uh, that two men have to carry out. Yes, it's all the things that God said it would be. And yet, man, there's giants in the land. 
there, there's walls that we can't scale. There's all of these things, all these reasons why we can't do this thing that God had said, I have already given you the victory. And God chastened them as a result of their unbelief. I wonder sometimes when we're confronted with that fiery bush, how many times instead of, instead of yielding to God's will, instead of obeying what He has told us to do, do we try to rationalize? We try to walk around and figure it out. You say, Pastor Steve, if I was confronted with a burning bush that was not consumed, I, I would uh, fall in worship. I would, uh, I would listen to that voice that is coming out of the bush. Uh, but can I tell you this morning that Jeremiah says, is not my word like a fire? The, the Bible is like a fire. Uh, we have the very words of God that are God-breathing fire uh, coming off the pages of Scripture, uh, teaching us what we, what, what we must know, uh, teaching us the will and the ways of God. Uh, Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It transforms us. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It gives us wisdom. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It brings us joy. Uh, the, uh, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It dispels the darkness. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It adds stability uh, to our life. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He promises justice, more to be desired. Are they than gold? Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So we're confronted with the truth of God's Word. Oftentimes, uh, this morning as we read uh, the Word of God, we're confronted with the truth. We're confronted with God's will and God's ways. And, and sometimes we walk around and we try to rationalize. We try to figure out, yeah, but uh, I, I don't know if that makes sense for me. Uh, the Bible says, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Uh, there's really no ambiguity there. In everything, give thanks. Uh, yeah, but I don't know that God knows my situation. Uh, can I tell you God knows exactly uh, what you're going through? Uh, can I tell you that Jesus went through more than what you're going through, and yet in everything, He gave thanks. In everything, give thanks. Uh, I, you know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Yeah, but God doesn't know exactly what I'm feeling towards that other individual. Uh, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Uh, let me walk around that bush and figure out, uh, I think I can rationalize. I think I can figure out a better way uh, than what God has said in the fire uh, that comes out of the Word of God. Uh, I, I, you know, the Bible tells us, uh, teaches us uh, that we are to tithe. God's uh, word says that when we tithe, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. But you know what? God hasn't seen my budget lately. God says, hey, prove me. Instead of walking around trying to figure out, well, I, I don't know if it makes sense for me. I'm not sure if it makes sense for me. Accept uh, what God is saying uh, through the Father. Word of God, accept what he is saying, and he says, prove me now herewith. Uh, prove me. My, the Bible says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Uh, yeah, but I'm not sure if God knows all of my situation. Uh, we, we rationalize all of these things instead of coming face to face with the fire of the word of God and just accepting and yielding uh, to his will. Even Albert Einstein said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is though everything is a miracle. I'm thankful for the miracle of another day to serve him. 
I'm thankful for the miracle of health that he has given each one of us enough to be here this morning. You may say, I don't have good health, but you have good enough health to be here this morning. You have good enough health to be watching online this morning. I'm thankful for the miracle of a job that he has given to me. I'm thankful for the miracle of a family that he has given to us. I'm thankful for the miracle of a church family that God has given to us. You know, we rationalize the supernatural. This happens in churches, by the way. Uh, oftentimes in churches, uh, for, uh, you may not know this, but there are a lot of churches that look to Rosedale all across the country uh, seeing, man, there's a lot of things that are happening there. There's a lot going on. Uh, there's, not, uh, there's not many weeks that go by that we don't receive an email from a pastor or a phone call from a pastor. Hey, what's the secret sauce? What's going on in that church? Hey, it's not about the leadership. It's not about the plans. It's not about all of the processes that we have here at Rosedale. It's about the supernatural. It's about God blessing his church. And praise God that he's blessing his church. Number two, the justifications for complacency. The justifications for complacency. We see in our passage here that Moses is being confronted with God's will and he begins to make excuses. He begins to make excuses. Look down in verse 11, and God said unto Moses, who am I? He says, number one, I'm not qualified. Who am I? I'm not qualified. Can you relate to that excuse when God is calling you to do something? Can you relate to the excuse that I am not qualified? Can I tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what God calls you to do. Satan will confront you with feelings of inadequacy. It happens over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if he's calling you to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It doesn't matter if he's calling you to serve in a particular ministry. Satan is always going to confront you with feelings of inadequacy. I'm not qualified. Notice excuse number two, chapter four, verse one. And Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Number two, I don't have influence. I'm not qualified. I don't have influence. I don't have influence. I don't have the influence that I need to do what, God, you are calling me to do. I think it's interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching that that, that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when it gets to the end of that Sermon on the the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, the most influential person, no doubt, that has ever walked the face of the earth. The passage right after that, Matthew 7, 28, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I find that peculiar because Jesus was not just one that had authority. Jesus was authority. Jesus was not just a scribe. Jesus was the scribe of scribes. Jesus was God impersonated, embodied right there in front of them. Jesus was teaching them the very words of God. Every time he spoke, it was the words of God. But you know, we have the word of God. 
That as we minister what God has called us to do, when we walk into that classroom to teach, and even though we feel like, hey, I don't have influence, I, I, I'm not qualified, as we walk into that, t- that classroom to teach, or uh, we share the Word of God or the Gospel uh, with a friend of ours or a family member, it's not about us being qualified. It's not about our influence. It's about uh, the authority of the Word of God that we have before us. I don't, I'm not qualified. I don't have influence. Number three, I'm not charismatic. Verse 10 in chapter 4 says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servants, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. I am not eloquent. I'm not charismatic. Sometimes we think the only people that can do something great for the Lord are those charismatic leaders, those ones that have the gift of being able to speak eloquently. And Moses says, hey, I'm not that. I'm thankful that Moses has this one in here. Because that's something that I battle on a regular basis. I don't know about you, but I battle the fact that I'm not qualified. I don't have influence. I'm not charismatic enough to lead. But when God calls you to do something, He's going to empower you and to be able to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. All we have to do is be yielded to Him. Number four, he continues on, Moses, excuse, excuse, excuse. And he gives a final excuse. And he says in verse 13, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. He basically says, someone, send someone else. Number four, I don't want to do it. When you get to the heart of the matter, the matter was of the heart. Moses didn't want to follow God's plan. And sometimes we come up with all of these excuses as to why we're not going to follow God's plan. I'm not qualified. I don't have influence. I'm not a charismatic leader. When at the heart of the matter, I just don't want to do it. I I, I don't want to do God's plan. I don't want to follow Him. Can I encourage you this morning by our last point this morning, the empowerment of faith? The empowerment of faith. God hears those excuses and He gives the empowerment of faith to Moses. God promises deliverance. Look at back in verse 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8, I am come down to deliver. Moses, I didn't call you to deliver the people of Israel. Moses, I asked you just to be yielded to my will. Because I, God, am going to deliver my people. He says over and over again, I am going to do, I am going to do, I am going to do. So now when Moses says, I'm not qualified, God says, you're right, Moses, you're not qualified. But he begins to encourage him in verse 12. He says, certainly I will be with thee. I have sent thee. Moses is still skeptical and he says, well, what should I say? Whose name should I say when they ask of me? And God said in verse 14 unto Moses, I am that I am. I love the series that we've been in over the past couple of months, the I Am series, the I Am that I Am. Moses says, hey, I'm not qualified. And God says to him, no, you're not, but the I Am is. Hey, I'm not qualified this morning. No, I'm not, but the I Am is. 
I am is qualified. It doesn't matter about my qualifications. It matters about his qualifications. Think about it. Moses, the last time he was seen in Egypt, he was killing someone. And now Moses, or God is confronting him with, hey, no, you're not qualified, but the I am is qualified. The I am is qualified because the I am is the bread of life. The I am is the door. The I am is the good shepherd. The I am is the resurrection and the life. The I am is the vine. The I am is the water of life. And praise God for the I am who is qualified when he calls us to do something. Hey, we're not qualified, but the I am is qualified. I think about Paul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. When God calls you to do something and you think, I'm not qualified, hey, that's okay. Be yielded to his will because he is qualified. Paul says in Ephesians, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Moses then says, well, that excuse didn't work. So he begins, I don't have influence. I've been hiding over here in Midian. I haven't been networking. I don't have the influence that someone else has. I haven't been networking back in Egypt. I don't have the network that I once have. I don't even have a social media account. Uh, he, he begins to come up with all of these excuses, and, and, and God says, hey, let me give you a promise. I'm going to give you miraculous signs. Verse 2, God asks what is in his hand, and he asks him to cast it down, and it becomes a serpent. And he picks it back up by the tail and it becomes a rod. Then in verse 5, the Bible says that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. When we begin doing what God has asked us to do, God miraculously provides the resources to accomplish his will. And he begins to give him sign after sign after sign. In verse 6, he asks him to place his hand in his chest. And he pulls it back out and it's leprous. He tells him to put it back in and he pulls it back out and it's clean. That miracle that he's being confronted with. In verse 9, he says, if they still won't believe you, you can take water out of the river, put it on, pour it on dry land and it will become blood. Miracle after miracle after miracle. The empowerment of Moses' faith is happening right before him. But God says to us, hey, you're the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. God, God's power works through us. We are influential like salt and light. And so he begins to go on. Well, I'm not charismatic. I'm not eloquent. And God promises to him. He says, hey, I made you. I will teach you. The Bible says, that Paul says, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he finally finishes, God, I don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. And Moses revealed the heart of his problem, and there was rebuke there. And ultimately, because of that rebuke, Moses accepted the will of God. You know, aren't you glad that Moses accepted the will of God? The miraculous events that would begin to transpire shortly thereafter. As he goes in and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. 
You know what? Moses wasn't strong enough to get the people out. It took God doing miracle after miracle, called plague after plague after plague, and at ten different plagues until ultimately the Israelites were able to, to go. He says, let my people go. And then all of a sudden Moses leads them and leading them to the promised land, getting as far away from Egypt as possible. But the Egyptian armies are, are chasing them. As, as they go, all of a sudden they're confronted with something that Moses is not big enough. He's not eloquent enough. It doesn't matter how good of a leadership ability he has. I can't carry my people through this Red Sea. I can't go backwards. I can't go forward. God, what am I going to do? And God parted that Red Sea. God performed that miracle. As he stepped in faith, God opened up that river to allow the children of Israel to walk through on dry land. As they got over to the other side, he brought it back together and took care of that Egyptian army. Then he led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He gave them manna from heaven. All of these things, all of these miracles, all of these signs were done by God himself. But it was because this man, Moses, finally yielded his will to God's will. Sometimes our plans are not God's plans. Can I encourage you this morning, no matter if you can rationalize it or not, give your plans to God's plan. Yield your plan to God's plan. So much was able to happen as a result of Moses giving his plan over to the Lord. As we close out our message this morning, you've got a section down at the bottom that says live it out. Let me encourage you to write down three things. Number one, identify your excuses. Your excuses may be different than what Moses' excuses were. But identify your excuses. Number two, surrender to God's plan. And number three, share God's fulfillment. You know, as God continues to work in your life, hey, tell somebody about it. Share what God is doing miraculously through your life. Because God is willing to work as long as we are yielded to his plan. The rationalization of the supernatural. The justification for complacency. But God gives us the empowerment for our faith. As we close in prayer this morning, we're going to turn our attention in just a moment to the baptismal and be encouraged by David being baptized today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Lord, I pray that you would use these thoughts in the hearts and lives of each one of us. Lord, so often we are called to do something that is beyond us, and yet we need your miraculous power to give us the ability to follow through. Lord, I pray that we would be yielded to your plan. Lord, I pray that no matter what you've called us to do, that you would give us the strength to take the step of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.